In my first year of ministry, I had made a mistake. I had said from the pulpit that I really enjoyed cheesecake. Now, that was a mistake because I didn't understand the generosity that existed on the heart of Bethany Christian Church because that following week, I received more cheesecakes than I ever thought possible. As a bachelor, my uh, refrigerator was filled with just the bare essentials. You know, you've been there. Just a few cans of Coca-Cola, a pizza box from the night before, and maybe like a bottle of ketchup. But that week, I was stocked up like a bakery house. Uh, I had wall-to-wall, rack-to-rack cheesecakes everywhere. Everyone had brought in their homemade recipe of cheesecake. And so I had so much cheesecake, I didn't want to have it ever again. But I knew it was going to take place the following Sunday. That somebody was going to ask, well... How did you like my cheesecake? So I had to sample every single bit of cheesecake that I had in there. Mistake right there. And I learned real quick as a young minister, if I wanted to stay thin, that I could never, ever say again the foods that I liked from the pulpit. I had no idea that generosity was written on the heart of Bethany Christian Church. Hey, have I ever told you that I enjoy Ford Mustangs? When we found out that our missionary uh, from India, Ronnie Paul, that's T.B. Paul's wife, was in need of a knee surgery. One of our groups had come back and said, man, she can barely do anything over there. She needs some surgery on her knees. This congregation quickly raised the money for her to have that knee surgery. And not just one knee uh, could be replaced. There was enough money for both knees to be replaced. You see, generosity has been written on this congregation's heart for a very long time. I met with a banker a few weeks ago, and he had mentioned that since 2008, nearly $4.8 million has been given generously to this ministry. He was astonished by that. He said, your congregation is awfully generous to give to the missional needs and community needs and the congregational needs through Christ. And I said, oh boy, are they generous. Absolutely. Generosity has always been written on the heart of Bethany Christian Church. You know, if we've uh, talked about adding a third service around here, it's probably going to start November the 1st. Don't take my word for it, though. I don't know much. I just preach here. Um, we needed more than 20 volunteers for that service. Now, already many have already signed up and said, I'd like to help. I'd like to be a part of that ministry. We want to have full children's ministries at service just like any other service, and we don't want our children to suffer because there's not, a, not enough volunteers. Now, more are always needed, but God has been so gracious in laying it on your heart to step up and to be generous with your time and with your energy. And we should have known. We should have known. Because generosity has always been written on the heart of this congregation. When a few ladies in our congregation noticed a few years ago that children in our public elementary schools weren't wearing warm winter coats on winter days, they didn't ask somebody else to do something about it. They decided to do something about it. And they started a ministry here at Bethany called Bundle Up for Winter. And hundreds of children all across Davies County were supplied with warm winter coats for free. And all of those coats and all of that money and all of those resources and time and energy came from this congregation. I should have known. This congregation has always had generosity written on their heart. When the tornado ripped through Washington a few years back, like so many other congregations, this congregation rallied together to help with the cleanup needs day after day. And when people were displaced, many of you decided to find some place for them to live, whether it was an apartment that you had open or a room you had available, or if it was clothing that was needed, you were quick to bring clothing here to this building so that it'd be distributed. If it was finances that were needed, you were quick to say, let's Let's write him a check, honey, and see what we can do to provide. And I should have known 
I should have known because generosity has always been written on the heart of this congregation. You know, this series that we're in called Written on the Heart is about our culture here at Bethany Christian Church. You might have come from another church. You might have come from another congregation. You might have your own ways, and those ways are probably fine. They're probably great. They're probably God-honoring. That's wonderful. But this is our culture around here. This is the way we live and breathe. We, we're compassionate people. We, we, we're going to celebrate more than we've ever celebrated before. We're, we're a group of celebration because there's victory in Jesus Christ. And, and we're, a group, we're a group that's generous with the things that we have recognizing that God's already given us these things. Whether it's finances, whether it's time, whether it's energy, whether it's a listening ear, whatever it might be, God's given us these things so that we can help others and not just benefit from ourselves. I could go on and on and on about the lists of things that God has done in your life that has compelled you to be more generous than I ever thought imaginable. I can continue to just celebrate and have a sermon like that where it's just one thing after another. But I know there's a few people in this congregation that aren't sure about this side of our culture, about being generous. Maybe it's just you've been stingy. Maybe you just have had a callous heart to people. Maybe when you hear about someone's plight, about needing a babysitter, and you've got the night open, you think they can find somebody else. I don't know what it is. But when it comes to my life, sometimes it's really difficult to be generous, even though I have everything I need and I have most things that I want. There's something about this side of our culture where we can become really tight-fisted rather than being open-handed like our Savior has shown us, like our God desires for us and has shown us as well. Let me define generosity for you, at least for this context uh, within our culture. Generosity is a heart overflowing with grace to be poured out onto others. Catch this. It's a heart overflowing with, here's the key word, with grace so that we can pour out that overflowing onto others with grace. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to look at chapters 8 and 9. We're just going to go back and forth. So one point we're going to look at chapter 8 verse 1 and then the next uh, in that point, we're going to go to chapter 9, so we'll be turning back and forth quite a bit. While you're opening there, let me give you some context to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Uh, there is a, a church in Jerusalem, the mother church, the founding church on the day of Pentecost. The church started, 3,000 plus people became a part of the church. Huge church instantaneously. And now they have a great need because a couple things are going on. Number one, there is a persecution amongst the Christians. And because of that persecution, property's been seized by Rome, money's been seized by Rome, they can't afford much, they can't do much, and not only that, there's been a severe famine in the area, so food is scarce as well. So it's like the double whammy has hit this church in Jerusalem, and so the Apostle Paul, who is the, the, one of the, probably the greatest missionary in Christendom, arrives on the scene, he says, how can we help? Surely we can help these brothers and sisters in Christ, they need our generosity, they need someone to have an open hand, not a tight fist. And so he approaches the people that he knows will come through for them. But the thing about the people that will come through for them, it's the area called Macedonia. Churches like Philippi, Berea, Thessalonica, they're very rich spiritually, but they're very poor financially. And so as he looks for them to bring in some money, he knows they'll, they'll want to pour out their hearts to them, and they'll want to do what they can, but he knows that even though they might even have sacrificial gifts, the, the, the total's not going to be that much, and so the church of Jerusalem's still going to need a bigger offering. And so he calls out to this group in Corinth, 
and that's the letter that we're about to read here, the book of Corinth, the city of Corinth. They're very rich, but here's the problem. While they're rich, they're, they're, they're different from the Macedonians. They're very poor spiritually. They have a lot to offer, but they don't recognize that what they have has been given to them by God, that they're, they're just, they're just uh, to be stewards of those things, that they're just managers. It's all on loan from God. They haven't understood that yet. The Macedonians have, but the, the, the Corinthians haven't. And so Paul is trying to shake them up, and he's trying to get to the heart of the matter, and he's trying to have them remember how gracious Jesus Christ has been to them and how generous God has been to them, and he wants them to be compelled by it. And then he does what every great speechwriter, sermon writer would ever do. He talks about those that were sacrificial, and he talks about the Macedonians first. Let's get into chapter 8. Let's look at verse 1 uh, for a moment because it talks about the first kind of heart that we really need. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 says, and now, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that ha- God has given the Macedonian churches. Notice God has given the grace. The grace obviously was filled up in their life, and now it's overflowing out of their life, and that grace is going to swell up into compassion, into generosity. All those things have to fire if the engine of generosity wants to, wants to be uh, running powerfully. Compassion's got to be there. A heart for God's got to be there. And so as we talk about our heart today, let me, let me talk about four types of hearts. We've talked about this before as we've studied the scripture, but it identifies our culture the best here at Bethany. And that is, they had a, a, a grateful heart. They had a grateful heart. And so this poor financial church had a rich faith, and they said, how can we help? We've experienced the grace in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to know that what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Corinthian church is they did a spiritual inventory first in Macedonia. You ever thought about doing that when you think about generosity? Not doing an inventory of your bank account or an inventory of your garage or an inventory of maybe your shop, but doing an inventory of the things that God has done spiritually in your life. And the church of Macedonia did that inventory and they recognized we we are worthless without God. We're, we're sinful still. We're unforgiven. We, we're still on a path and trajectory towards hell. But Jesus Christ stepped in and God was generous and he showed us grace and we've experienced grace and it's changed our life completely all around. And we're so rich spiritually and now we want to do something monetarily. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says, For you know the grace, verse 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Catch this, Christ was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty might become rich. And so the Apostle Paul says, let me give you a definition of generosity here for a second. Jesus had everything to to gain to stay in heaven, but you were here on earth and you needed a savior, you needed rescuing, and so he left the glories of heaven, all the riches of heaven, and he stripped down to the sackcloth of humanity after taking off that royal robe, came down here, and he became poor. You see, Jesus' story is not a rags-to-riches story. Jesus' story is a riches-to-rags story. And the Macedonians caught that, and they said, wow, God's really done something important in our lives, Someone done something really important in our world, and certainly we can do something really important for his bride, for his kingdom to expand. You know, we have so many reasons at this church, not just to celebrate, but to be thankful and to have a grateful heart. I can't believe that God put me at such a special church, to be honest with you. I mean, I just think about all the great Bible studies and Bible study teachers that we have and the small groups that we have and the great small group discussion leaders that are there and the people that open up their homes 
to, to folks just so the, the Word of God can be studied and so people can, can meet in community together in a smaller group than, than this size. I think about the testimonies that we hear about lives being changed and the baptistry being stirred just about every single week of people giving their heart and life over to Jesus Christ. I think about our, our volunteers that serve us on such a regular basis, and they do so well. I think about our worship services, how it seems like every week I'm just looking forward to see what God's going to do through us, and, and, and I'm excited to sing and to celebrate with you all music that's inspiring, programs that are excellent, preaching that's tolerable for the most part. Some of you have never been a part of a church like this. Some of you have walked in here for the first time and you haven't understood that there's, there's constant ongoing needs in a congregation this size. You know, as the church grows, so do the needs of the church that grow as well. And you're thinking, man, it seems like every week we're being asked to be generous towards something and then we have our continual offerings and there's that. You know, uh, John Henry Gallup had said, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. In, May of, or in March of 1948, Niagara Falls stopped falling. It was the first time in recorded history that Niagara Falls has ever stopped flowing over the falls. And because of that, the, deaf, the deafening silence woke up the neighborhood. And they thought it was the end of the world. But what really happened was there was an ice shift on Lake Erie, and the ice had all clogged up and jammed the canal that was reaching to the falls, and it had stopped up the falls for 30 hours. And then once the ice broke loose, the falls began to go again. You know, with ongoing needs that exist in this church, public restrooms for a faraway place in India, public restrooms, for goodness sake. But if we want to see a Christian hospital be built, we have to fall on the lines of the demands of a government that we don't understand. And we've got to build some public restrooms so some Christians can get some help and some Indians can get some help in the name of Jesus Christ over there. And we just happen to have the lot of public restrooms. Funny enough, right? But if those kinds of things want to be built, if children want to have coats on their backs, if we want to have groups that meet the needs of this community, overwhelmed with supplies and resources time and time again. If our children need school supplies on the way back to fund uh, the Bethel Mall, there's going to be needs that are ongoing time and time and time again. And I hope your grateful heart stays open-handed and generous, and I hope it doesn't get clogged with cold indifference and stop the outpouring of generosity that this church has been, been known for. Because it's cold indifference, just indifference. You know, the opposite of, of generosity isn't greed. The opposite of generosity is thoughtlessness. I just didn't think about it. It's like waking up in the morning and you're heading to your job and on the corner there's that man that stands there with the sign, but he's there every day and the sign says the same thing. Some food will help. And yet you just pass by and the first time you saw him, your heart was you know, pulled on. Maybe I should go get him some groceries. And then you think, I just don't have the time to do that right now. You have the finances, but not the time. And you think, I'll catch him when I come back to lunch. And, and he's there and you miss him again because you're running late to get back to the office. And it's time and time again. And you realize he's starting to blend into the scenery now. He doesn't stand out anymore. His sign no longer has any pull of heartstrings on you. And you just kind of callously drive by and it's cold indifference. It's not that, it's not that you're greedy. You'd love to help, it's just that you're, you're thoughtless. You just forgot to help. And the forgetfulness 
has calloused the heart and it's turned into cold indifference and it stops the flow of our generosity. And when we close our eyes and we ignore the needs that are in this congregation every single week about ways we help our community, our congregation, and the kingdom of Christ, anytime we close our eyes to it, it's one step closer to callousing our hearts and being ungrateful for the things that God has given to us. Take a spiritual inventory. And maybe that will lead to a heart of generosity and gratefulness. Here's the second heart, and that's a cheerful heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. Out of the most severe trial, chapter 8, verse 2, in the, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. He's still talking about this poor group of people, the Macedonians. They don't have much physically. They got a lot spiritually. And he says, man, in their extreme poverty, it welled up a rich generosity. You know what the Macedonians had discovered? They discovered what Jesus had talked about. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You've probably found that in your own life, haven't you? You've given just a little bit, and you're like, my, that really helped my heart out here. It really gave me a reason to say, I did something good here. When we give, we, we become a little like what, what God's attributes are. God's a giving God. John chapter 3, verse 16, what did he do? For God so loved the world that he, let's say it, he did what? He, he gave, right? He's a generous, he's a generous father. And so when we give, we become a lot like God's heart in our giving, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it tells us a little, about, a little about the giving that we should have. It says in chapter 9, verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. And how many times have you heard that right before the offerings passed? You know, God loves a cheerful giver. And you're thinking, I don't know really what that means. Let me help to try to explain it to you. The word cheerful in this verse comes from the Greek word hilarious. That's where we get our English word hilarious. Now, I know that when the, pa- the, the plates are passed, you're not going, oh, this is cracking me up. It feels too good to give. I love to give, and everyone's rolling on the aisles and having a great time, right? Some of us are like, oh, this hurts to give sometimes. This really hurts me. And I think if you feel obligated towards giving, that's when you're going to feel the sting. But when you have a desire to give, and you're cheerful in giving, and you've taken the spiritual inventory, you said God's good, that's when it turns into a cheerful heart. And while that might be hilarious in the way in which we know it, like a good joke was told and you're rolling around and your stomach hurts, it's going to bring a lot of cheer to your heart. It's going to bring a lot of happiness right here to your heart. And the kind of heart that God's saying that he wants for his people to give with is a cheerful heart. And anytime you feel coerced or anytime you feel guilted into giving, you know what my advice to you would be? Don't give. If it's this church or if it's a charity or if it's someone out on the street corner or somebody that's landing on thick at the office and trying to, trying to motivate you to help them out and you're just feeling guilty and you're not feeling compelled, don't give to that. Why? Because God wants a cheerful giver. And that doesn't matter if it's our finances or if it's our time or our energy. God wants you to do it with the right motive and that's a, a cheerful motive. You know, if we do things sometimes unwillingly, if we give at the church unwillingly, the only joy you're going to get out of it is in April when you get a tax deduction. That's it. You're not going to get the joy that God wants you to have when you have a cheerful heart and you come before him and said, Lord, this is yours. I've taken the spiritual inventory. I, I, I'm just so happy that you've shown grace in my life and now I've got the grace in my life and I want to overthrow, overflow it to you or to people in my life. Here's the third heart to look at. It's in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3. It's the generous heart. It says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able. So Paul's saying the Macedonian church, this church that's, that just doesn't have anything to their name financially. He says, I testify that they gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability, ability entirely on their own. I want you to notice something here, that Paul wasn't 
celebrating the amount that was given. He was celebrating, celebrating the sacrifice of these people. And we have to remember this. When it comes to giving, God's not concerned about the amount that's given. God is concerned about the heart that's it's being given with. They were generous people. They were sacrificial people. And God says, I'm looking at the heart when you give. I'm not looking at the, the donation that's being given. I'm looking at the heart, the motivation of it all. Now, how, how do you know it's generous then? I think you determine generosity by praying about it. I hope that everything you do when it comes to having your heartstrings pulled by people, that you're praying about, God, what should I do for them? You hear that poor story, maybe from a coworker, about how she just doesn't seem to be able to have a life because she's strapped down by her children and she's a single mother and you're thinking, you know, I have time on Friday. Maybe I should help out. You know what I'd do first? I'd pray about that. God, do you just want me to do Friday or do you want me to do Friday, Saturday? God, do you just... What do you want me to do here, God? How can I be generous? To this? Is this really her biggest need, or is there a different need that can be asked? When it comes to maybe giving of your offerings here, just don't throw money in the plate. I think, I think that sometimes can be a bit of ridiculousness, just to throw money in the plate and not give it a second thought. Pray about it. God, what should I be giving? What should I be doing here? I mean, I want this to be a cheerful, I want to be a generous heart. Now, what is it that I do? My wife and I, this is our primary place of giving right here, this place. While there's other charities and people that we help and other colleges that we support this place gets the lion's share of our charitable giving right here and every single year we pray about what we should give to bethany christian church and then we set aside of that in our our budget we say untouchable we don't touch it god's laid this on our heart to give that's called a first fruits offering god's going to get this and then we'll live off the rest of this and I hope that you start praying about how you can help people. You start praying about how you can help your family, how far you should go with them. You start praying about how you can help the congregational needs here. You start praying about what kind of offering you want to be given as a Christian person. You start praying about what God wants to do in your life when needs come up. And I guarantee you, God's going to give you some kind of direction. He's going to give you direction on what you should do. You should buy them groceries. You should walk with them an extra mile. God's going to give you some direction. You just need to be praying about it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, the first part. It says, each man, this is verse uh, 7 in chapter 9 now. We just move over to chapter 9. Each, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Catch that. Don't let a preacher tell you what to give. Don't let your grandmother tell you what to give. Don't let Dave Ramsey tell you what to give. You Give what you've decided in your heart to give after you've prayed about this. And that's what turns into a generous, that's what turns into a generous heart. Look at verses 10 and 11 with me in chapter 9. It says, Now he who supplied the seed to the sower, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of your righteousness. God supplies the seed, God supplies the bread, and he says, He's going to increase that in your life. Verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And, though, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving in God. You know what that scripture just told us? That when you give, there's going to be some blessings that are going to come your way. Now, this is not health and wealth preaching, okay? Please do not get on Facebook and say, I can't believe that preacher. He's like Cleflo Dollar now. He's going to, next thing you know, he's going to want a $63 million jet. No, that's not what's going on. The Bible's 
completely telling us, in every way, you will be blessed. You'll be enriched in every way. I didn't say financially. I didn't say financially, did it? Do you see the words in there, financially? In every way, you're going to be monetarily blessed. That's not what it's saying. I like how Bill Hybels concludes this part of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says it like this. Don't worry how God's going to bless you in this. In, it, it could be in your tithes and offerings or your giving. He might increase your income, but probably not. He might lower your expenses. He might sustain your household appliances. He might protect your health. He might keep your car out of the shop. God blesses us in ways, in His way, in His time. So it's not financial blessing. Don't think that because you're giving or you're being generous to somebody or to a local congregation that God is going to overthrow your bank account with money and great gains. Like all of a sudden your portfolio is going to go up. It's not the way God works. God's not here to increase your investments and God's not here to reap your financial dollars. God's here to mold a heart that looks like His Son, Jesus Christ, who on every occasion throughout the Gospels was generous with what he had. Even though he had no home, even though he had no bed, he was generous with what he had. That's the kind of heart we're talking about here today, a generous heart. Let me give you the last kind of heart, and that's the surrendered heart. I think this is probably the most um, uh, desired heart that we should search after, and that's the surrendered heart. Second Corinthians chapter 8, let's look at verse 3. Um, let's, yeah, let's just start in verse 3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Now verse 4. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in His service to the Lord's people. The Macedonians were begging to give. They were broke. They're broke. Hey, Paul, pass the plate one more time. We want another shot at it. That's amazing kind of stuff. And this is the type of Stuff that happens when there is a surrendered heart towards God. God's laid it on me what I should be doing. And I know because I've taken a spiritual inventory, I can do greater things than what I've done financially or what I've done with time or what I've done with my energy or what I've done with my possessions. I can do even greater than that. A few years ago when we had what was called personal communication events, that's where we told the congregation that was relocating to this area what we were building here and how much it was going to cost and what we wanted to accomplish we had these these groups of about 30 40 people where i spoke to them and kind of relayed on the vision and told them how we were going to get there and of course the bottom line answer that everyone in the congregation at that time had was how much is this going to cost us right and so the numbers were put out there and we said everyone's going to have to make a sacrificial gift and, and everybody did it was it was just an amazing thing to see how people were so generous it's because they had a surrendered heart and there was this lady that was there, and you could tell she was kind of sweating it out. She was hand-wringing, and um, she came to me after everyone had left, and she said, Matt, I, I want to help. I want to help out. I just don't feel like this is the time in my life to do it. I look at everything in my life, and I'm like, we're swimming in debt. How can we even give to the Lord, and we're just trying to get out of the hole here? I said, would you just pray about it? Later in the week, she says, she calls back, she says, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, and here's what God reminded me of. He said, every, every tax year, we get something back. It's not much, it's something. And usually we blow it. My husband and I blow it. We get like a brand new TV when we don't need another TV. Do we really need five TVs between the two of us kind of a thing? And she said, or, or we just put it in our budget and it's gone. We can't even keep, we, the, the dollar doesn't have a name and so it's gone. And she said, 
my husband and I have decided that that small portion of money, we want to give it to the church. And she said, you know what my husband said to us when we were at breakfast? He said, I think we can get our car. Our car's going to be paid off in about six months. And all we were going to do is buy another car with it. Get just trade it in, buy a brand new car, and be on payments again for 36 months. And she said, we'll just, we're going to hold on to it for the next three years. And the car payments that we were paying, well, we'd rather give that to the kingdom of God than rather let a car company have them. That's a surrendered heart. I don't know any other way to put it except to say, I've done an inventory here of my life, and I've recognized that God has done immeasurably more in my life than I've ever dreamed. And not on a physical level, on a spiritual level. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, the Apostle Paul puts it like this, and they didn't do, and they, they exceeded our expectations. They, they went beyond our expectations. They gave themselves, now here it is, here's the heart that leads, here's the way to lead to a surrendered heart. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. What did they do first? They gave themselves over to God. God, I'm yours. I'm your servant. I, I made a decision one day to follow after you, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and when I went into the water, so did my time. And when I was baptized into you, Father, so did my energy. And when I was baptized into you, so did my possessions. And when I was baptized into you, so did, so, so did my wallet. And so you already have my life. What are all these things that are temporal? You, you already have my life. So take, take it all. And the Macedonians just didn't show us an example of giving here. The Macedonians are showing us an example of living here. God, you already have all that I am. I'll be the sacrifice. I'm the surrendered heart. You tell me what it is that you want out of me, and I will gladly be generous with what I have. I like what James Harnish said. He said, what matters is not the size of the gift, but the difference it makes in the life of the giver. I think sometimes when we're, we're being generous and open-handed, we think, wow, that probably really made a difference in the life of the one I gave to. But the honest truth is, it's making a difference right here in our life when we start to give. Someone said, you can't take it with you, and if you could, you, it would probably melt. You can't take it with you. But you can, you can send it ahead. Jesus talked about an investment plan, a spiritual investment plan in Matthew chapter 6. He said it like this in verse 19. Don't store it for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break and steal, but store it for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, let's say this together, there your heart will be also. If that's where your treasure's at, in the Lord and in heaven, that's where your heart's gonna be. But if you're fixated on the things that are possessional, if you're fixated on, on your time and not making it other people's time if you're focused just on the energy that you can keep for yourself or the finances that you can round up so that you can have a bigger castle one day god says oh man that's going to get destroyed it's going to get ruined one day and then what was that possession what was that investment really for but for the things on earth he said start thinking spiritually take a spiritual inventory start thinking spiritually and it will lead to this surrendered heart it'll start to boil down to this wentley phipps says god's an honest man if if you give him too much He'll return it back to you. You can't outgive him. And when you realize that in this world it's just stuff, it becomes less difficult to say, I can give more away. So what's God doing in your heart? I hope that 
it remains in a state of generosity. I hope this congregation, long after I'm dead, will be known as a congregation that has been open-handed to this community, been open-handed to the cause of Christ, and been open-handed to the, the congregational needs here. Because this is filled with men and women, boys and girls with surrendered hearts to Jesus Christ. You know, there's something that God wants more than your finances or your possessions or because he doesn't, he doesn't care much about your finances. He doesn't want your dollars as much as he wants your desires. He doesn't want your checks as much as he wants your choices. He doesn't want your lip service. He wants your life. And that's what you need to understand about our God. He wants your life. He wants your choices, and he wants your desires. He wants your heart. And as we've talked about the heart here today, you're going to see that if your heart belongs to God, then everything else will be easily handed over to the things of God. Doesn't mean you're going to be living in poverty. That's not what he wants his people to be living in. As a matter of fact, you're going to be living a blessed life. You're going to have a cheerful heart because you know you're right on target with what God's calling you to do. To give of your time, to give of your energy, to give of your possessions, to give of your finances because they're God's already. And if you've never turned your heart over to God, you probably don't understand what I'm talking about right now. But maybe you're saying, I want to understand that kind of heart. It's a matter of giving your life over to Jesus Christ and to accept Him as your Savior and as your Lord. That starts first in the baptistry. That baptistry is nothing miraculous. or there's, there's nothing special about it except to say that's where I died to myself and I rose again. That's where I put my old heart to death. And I, now I'm rising with the heart of Jesus Christ. That's where I experienced grace so that grace could overflow out of me and pour out onto other people. Friends, if you want to be a generous person, not just financially, but with just all that you are, it starts by having your life surrendered over to Jesus Christ, have your sins forgiven, and starting something new.